As you can tell, we're in a series all in, all out. We want to be all in so that we can go all out for Jesus. That's what we've been talking about, and we're going to get right to that. In the meantime, football season is here, right? You feeling that? Yeah, college games this weekend. The NFL starts officially, I guess, next weekend. Just all that's happening. And here, and in football, it's about being all in, all out. As a matter of fact, uh, this weekend, actually, I think it was Thursday night, um, there was a game, Georgia Tech versus Clemson. Anybody see that? Georgia Tech versus... The reason I mention it is because it, it, it just kind of goes with this all in, all out. First of all, Georgia Tech players did something that I've never seen done before. They came out to warm up on the field and they were all carrying weights. And they got out there in front of the stadium and they're kind of doing this and this and this and... And they looked like they were all in. Then later, Clemson came out. They didn't do any of that. But Clemson, they had something written on all their chin straps. Actually, they borrowed it from our series. On their chin straps, every single one <laughs> said all in. All their chin straps said all in. Well, then, guess what? At the game, Clemson showed that they were all in. And uh, Georgia Tech showed that, yeah, they looked all in, but they weren't really all in. And I think the score is like 52 to 14. But Jesus, Jesus, whoa, big, yeah. Jesus is telling us that as his followers, we should be all in to go all out for him. Last time we were talking about the fact that as followers, we were actually disciples. It's not that some followers of Jesus, some Christians are disciples. Jesus told us all true Christians are disciples, people who actively engage in following Jesus. Last time we realized that discipleship, that it's, it's not optional. It's what Christianity is. We talked about it's not half-hearted. We talked about it's not conditional. You know, we talked about it's also not instantaneous. We grow into that but he's talking about, hey, we need to be all in. And we're going to continue that, that theme that Jesus has, all in, so that we can go all out this Sunday. And we're going to look at uh, Ch uh, Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, he, he tells a story. And in this story, I, I'm, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, he talks about money. And, and I know we talk about money. And, and sometimes, like last service, I was all apologetic about talking about and the reason I do that, and I don't know why I get that way, but, well, I do know. The reason is this, because I know every Sunday we have new people here at Grace who have never been here. And so they're going to get this impression that we talk about money all the time. Or they're going to get this impression even worse that what I want from them as they come to Grace is some of their stuff, that I want them, I want their money. We don't want anything from you. What we want is for you that you will come to have a relationship with Christ, it will change your life. He will change your life. But anyway, so, but, but Jesus talks about money a lot. And so sometimes uh, we get on that. We're on that today. So again, take it for what's worth and I'll try not to apologize anymore. So we can move on because I spent way too much time doing that last time. So Jesus in Matthew 25, he tells some parables. A parable is a short story that Jesus would tell and, and that he would tell it this story to make a spiritual point. Now, in this story, there's this word that's going to show up. It's called a talent. A talent 
uh, and the, the English word, translating a Greek word from the first century, is a measurement of weight that they use for precious metals, gold and silver. And we don't know exactly between 50 and 80 pounds. So a talent was a large amount of either gold or silver is one talent. And then he, Jesus is going to tell this parable, and he's in the parable. He will be represented by the owner or the master. And then we, as people, are represented in the story by three different slaves that interact with the master. So, you ready? You ready for the parable? You ready for the story? All right. Matthew 25, we're going to begin in verse 14. And Jesus says this. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me? See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the, one who, and the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given... And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there you you have the parable. And it's a parable that increasingly in our day is not a a parable that that people in our time like to hear. Especially the ending. last two verses kind of rough. Talking about hell. But anyway, here's the deal. Jesus teaches us to be all in regarding our resources in this life for three reasons. And here's the first. The first is God owns everything we have. 
God owns everything we have. We see this in the story. Who owns the talents? It's, it's the master's money. It's the owner's money that he entrusts to his servants, his slaves. And that's what there's a biblical principle that we call stewardship, which it's just the recognition that everything that we have, everything that we own in this life is actually given to us by God. And so everything we have, God actually owns it. He just allows us to control it temporarily for a time. For example, this is what I've always told my kids. Maybe you do that too. When my kids were growing up, I always reminded them, hey, everything you have, I own. Everything that's yours, actually it's mine. You know, and I told them that all the time. I mean, they could tell you. I always said that. It's the same principle. Everything I have is God's. He owns it all, but he allows me to control it for a time, but then my time is over. And then it's, it's back to wherever God wants to put it. So God owns all, and he allows us to control resources temporarily. And, and so the, the reason that, that this causes some confusion is, is today talent is broader in the English, and it means like our natural abilities. Just know in the first century it never meant that. It just meant a large sum of money. And it's probably because of this parable that Jesus told in the first century that a couple of hundred years ago, we started using the word talent in that broader context. But the point is, money is all this means in the first century. So, and we see their recognition. The slaves recognize the master owns the stuff. And you can see this in their response. When the master, master's away, this Jesus talking about himself, he's going to be gone for a long time. He's been gone 2,000 years, but he's coming back. And then there will be a, sort of a reckoning. And so when he, the first slave recognizes this, he says to the master, when the master comes back, he says, Mas, he starts this way, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. You gave to me, and, and I've gained five more. He recognizes it came to the ma- from the master. The first two servants do this exactly the same way. They're grateful for what the master has entrusted to them. And actually in this story, we see the slaves are kind of like partners in this. They benefit from what the master entrusts to them, but they put all their resources to work on the master's behalf. They have grateful hearts, not entitled hearts, grateful hearts. They're like coming to the master by saying, hey, Hey, Master, it's only by your grace that I have this, and I get that, and so I wanted to do for you whatever I could do. Any good that we have is ultimately from God. Any good thing or anything that we have that's a good thing is ultimately from God. God owns everything we have. Second reason. Second reason we need to be all in with our resources for God is that God expects us to invest in his kingdom. That's what this story is all about. God expects us to invest in his kingdom. This is a story about using what God has given us, what he has entrusted to us for a time, that we would leverage that for his benefit, for his kingdom. And so the slaves, uh, 
they used this money that, that their master had left with them. But also we know that, that this took work. This was not where they just went and put it sort of on investment. Even though the word bank is mentioned here, they didn't really have banks the same way that we have in the first century. And I could explain that, but just take some time. But anyway, there, he's just saying, hey, you could have invested and get a return. No, the slaves took this money and traded with it. They're entrepreneurs. They're working with this money, leveraging the money to gain more money for the master's benefit. So they're leveraging everything they have for the master's benefit. But it also takes their time and ability to make this happen. It's work. And, and we see that, especially in the response of the third slave. But anyway, so, so to us, as we apply this today, it's like, okay, so how do we invest? If Jesus is teaching us here to leverage our resources for God's kingdom, well, what does that look like? What's he telling us? And because in the story, these slaves, they took everything they had, all their money, and they leveraged it for the kingdom. Is, is that what God wants us to do? Sort of what God told the rich young ruler, but that was, that was for a specific reason for that one guy. It was, you know, sell everything we have and leverage it for the kingdom, and then we just kind of live destitute from then on. No, that's, that's not it. Well, what is? Well, here's how we know. Because in the first century, we have a snapshot, or today we have a snapchat, of exactly what was happening in the first century as they were applying this principle, how that worked for the Christians in the first century church. And we see that in several different places, especially Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He wrote uh, three letters, but two of them that we have, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and they both you know, mention that he, uh, how this principle kind of works. And so here, here's a snapshot of how this worked out in first century church. How do we invest? Well, here's, here's what Paul's saying. 2nd Corinthians 9, 6. And he's talking about giving in the church, the local church. Now, I, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. All right, so let's break that down now. So how do we invest today? Well, gen generously, we should invest generously into God's work, willingly, cheerfully, and also expectantly. And expectantly really in kind of two ways. But let's just start with generously. What's generous? Today, if, God, if Jesus is teaching through this story that we need to leverage our resources for his kingdom, and then we, we learn from Jesus and everywhere else that we're supposed to give generously, it's all over the New Testament. Jesus talks about a lot. Just read anywhere in the book of Luke, and you can't read a couple pages without seeing him talking about giving. Well, then what about that? How does that, what is that? What is that for us today? What's generous? Well, through the history of the church, a lot of Christians have used this 10% thing. It's called a tithe. A tithe is only 10%. A tithe only means a tenth. And so some people give a tithe. And, and so they give 10% of their income through the local church. 
And a lot of people do that. A lot of people here at Grace have done that. And that's why we've been able to do what we do is people give at, and sometimes people start with 10% of their income. A lot of people do that. And then, because they see that in Scripture. Now, some people then would push back and say, well, hold it. That 10% was part of the Old Testament law to the Israelites. And so in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites were told that they were to take 10% of all their increase all the time and always give a tenth of that to the temple. But then they had to give other things too. It was almost like taxation because it was more like a theocracy. And so those things in addition to that tenth, and pretty soon they were actually giving more than, they were actually required to give more when you added it all together, more than 23% of their income. But they didn't have national taxes and that supported some other things. So, okay, we got that. All right. So, but then they would say, well, see, that's Old Testament law. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. We're not really under that. Okay, that, that's a point well taken. All right, so then what is it? How do we know that we're not putting money above God, which is, a, a, which is a real danger for us today because we're all rich. You know, we're all in the top at least 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you drove here in a car and you have a warm place to stay and food to eat and a cell phone in your pocket, you're, you're, you're top 5%, but whatever, probably top three, but whatever. The point is we're all wealthy. So how do we know that we're giving God what we should give? Well, so a lot of people use this 10% as a guide. And the reason that a lot of people use 10% as a guide is because that 10% principle, that actually predated the law. Before Moses received the law on Mount Sinai with all the commandments and all this you know, bring your tenth in and storehouse and then some of those other things they had to give. Before all that, there was Abraham. And Abraham, we saw this principle working with him in the story of he and the priest Melchizedek that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, a tenth of his increase. And so we have this 10%. But, but we don't want to teach that in a legalistic way. We, we don't want to make it sound like, hey, if you're only given 8%, then you're going to hell. You know, or if you don't get 8%, you're, you're, being, you're being disobedient to God. What we're saying is we need to give generously, willingly, expectantly. You know, we need, and cheerfully, we need to give. And so what a lot of us, and, and for example, your pastors on staff, we, we go by this 10%. We give 10% of our income, and the rest of our staff, you know, most of them, don't know, you know, I don't look at everybody's giving like David does if he's here, but whatever. You know, he, he, that's his job. He has to figure all that out. But, so I don't know all the details. You could ask him. But our pastors and our staff, for the most part, they, they're all in on this 10%. Why? Because we believe in what God's doing here. We think we spend our money wisely, so we want to invest. We want to not just leverage our time, but also everything we have for God. And so that's one way. Be, Whatever it is, you have to figure it out because it's very easy to, to, keep, to put money ahead of God, our, our stuff, and we get our security from money and not from God. So we have to have some method of showing God, giving back to God, honoring God with what that, that says, God, I know all this is yours and I want to honor you with it and I want to invest what you're wanting to invest in. So, that's, so you got to figure that out, and you do that. 
And so what Scripture is saying generously is also that it should be intentionally and proportionally. Like also when Paul writes the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, you know, take up this collection and do, and, he's, and it's all just, hey, think about it, save up. So it's intentional and it's proportional. We don't expect people that have very little to give the same as people have a lot. But I got to tell you, and I didn't tell first service this, but let me tell you this, there's this weird statistic that has proven to be true over decades the more money people have, the greater your income, the smaller percentage they give to charities. And that also applies to Christians. The greater income Christians have, the smaller percentage they give to their church. Isn't that weird? You'd think that would be just the opposite. Which again, that's the point. We are all rich in, in, by the world's standards. And there's more, for, for whatever reason, there's more of a temptation when we have more to not give like we should than when we, when we have less, which that's hard to figure out. But anyway, I'll let you try to figure that out. And um, we just want to honor him by giving in an intentional and proportional way. And, and by the way, when we give, it should cost us something. It should be like we're doing without something. It it's, represents some, some sort of a sacrifice. It shouldn't just be like tipping God where we're just, we're just giving what we'll never miss. It should be something that, oh, this is significant. I mean, I feel this. So it's actually giving a, we learned that from David saying, I'll never give to God what doesn't, is not a sacrifice for me. But whatever. So, and then, so generously, willingly, that you're not under compulsion, that we're not saying, wow, if you don't give, you're in trouble. Uh, somebody's checking. We don't do that. Or somebody's going to be knocking on your door and saying, wow, you're not really carrying your weight. We know, you know, we'll never do that at Grace. We don't do that. It's not under compulsion. It's willingly. We, we should be giving because we want to give. And then cheerfully God intends our giving to be a joy. We get to be involved in what, what God is doing. We get to invest in his kingdom. It's part of our effort to make disciples, to reproduce ourselves. Part of that is giving. It's a joy. It's a privilege. And then expectantly. And expectant, we give expectantly in two different ways. One, expectantly that we know that we can't outgive God, that he's going to bless us for it. But, but the other way, maybe more significantly, is that we, want to, we expect that when we give, that we get to see what God does. And so if you're a person that's been giving to grace, for example, and let's say you're one of those people that do the, uh, you know, like a, a 10%, like you're a, a person who tithes. We want you to be able to look around and say, oh, boy, I've been tithing for 20 years, and I see what God has done. I see how that has been used for his kingdom. I see disciples being made, people coming to Christ, people growing in their relationship with Christ, us trying to start, you know, whatever we're doing, that you would be able to see those results. And I'll give you another example. And, and part of this is my issue. We don't do this enough. We kind of pack our services and try to keep them relatively short, but uh, an hour and five minutes is our goal, but which I will exceed today. But anyway, uh, just to let you know. Um, but for example, two weeks ago, Two weeks ago, we were contacted with a need that in Asia, there was a, a local flood that, that killed a bunch of people and wiped out a bunch of people's crops, and it just affected this region. We didn't hear much about it here, but that happened over there. Well, then we're contacted, and then we're able to give, send them money. We don't come and ask. It's in our budget. 
special needs in our missions, and we're able to immediately respond with money that we can send immediately over there to people in the country that we know and trust who will leverage every dollar of that money, taking no percentage out of it, to get food and temporary shelter and all the things that those people need in that region. So we do that, and we do that all the time, and, and I don't tell you about them. Probably we should share more of that, and I'll try to do that more in the future. But that, for example, just happened a couple weeks ago. We didn't mention it. That happens consistently. It's just part of what we do. And if we're doing that, and if you're supporting our church in a proportional way, then you're doing that. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. So we don't want to just help people. We want to help people as we leverage that help for the kingdom of God. When we give to people, we don't want to just give and help people. We want to give and help people and know, hey, we're doing this in the name of Jesus. And you should think about Jesus. You know, that's kind of what we're doing. Does that make sense? So that's how to invest. But the issue with this parable, the way this kind of breaks out, is really Jesus is kind of emphasizing a little bit the failure to invest what God has given us. And, and this is significant for us. I really believe 80% of evangelical Christian, Christians, 80% of people who say they're Bible-believing Christians in America, I believe are not really investing financially the way God would have them invest. And, and what about our church? Maybe half. Maybe half the people, you know, just spitballing. I kind of got this from, from David. But maybe half of the people at Grace are not really seriously investing in God's kingdom. And the thing is, is you just got to know that, that there's going to be an accounting and, and Jesus is expecting us to do this. And so this is a part of what we're, we're trying to do. And it, it's sad to me. Because we should be leveraging our resources in making disciples, which is, all, which is our commission as believers. If you're not a believer, then that's not your job. If you're a believer, it's your job to make disciples. And then giving is part of that as we leverage those resources to make that happen. But a lot of people, don't, they don't really jump into that. Instead... They choose to live, uh, you know, just a comfortable life with never risking anything for Jesus or really sacrificing anything for Jesus or anything of value for God. And so for, you know, half of us or so, and again, it, some people that are here are not believers. We don't expect non-believers to give anything. We don't even want non-believers to give us anything. We want them to know we have something for you. And then some people are new Christians and it takes, you know, and they haven't really grown in their trust of God that much. And so, but, you know, about maybe half the people here are just kind of tipping God. That means the plate comes by on Sundays, you know, and you throw in 10 bucks. But maybe you make 60 or $70,000 a year. That's, that's not what Jesus is talking about, being generous. That's kind of an issue. But... Um, there's more to life than that. Jesus is saying, hey, there's more to life than, than trying to build a nest egg and then retire early. 
experience the joy of living beyond yourself. Experience the joy, you know, of, of living for a cause that's greater than you. Experience the joy of living for a purpose that God's given you, that God made you for. And so Jesus in this parable is kind of warning people if they're not using their resources for God's kingdom. And we'll get into that just a little bit more later. But So let me put this in a practical way. In a couple weeks, I mean, it's close. A week after next Sunday, we soft launch Tiffin. Soft launch means just our people will be there. And for two weeks, theoretically, it'll just be our people. Just some of us will be over at Tiffin, the Tiffin people. And, and making sure everything works. Because then two weeks later, we do a public launch, the grand opening, where we invite the whole Tiffin community and region to come into church. And, and so here's a dynamic that's happened. So maybe in the last five or ten years, we've picked up a lot of Tiffin people. And that's kind of what put it on. Is actually about five years ago, we thought, wow, we need to do something about Tiffin. We have a lot of people from Tiffin coming. They have no reason to come to Fremont, but they're coming for church. Wow, that means something. We, we need to check into that. And so we started targeting Tiffin for a campus five years ago. We've been planning and working on it ever since. And now it's happening, which is cool. But a lot of people, you've been here from Tiffin, maybe you've been here five or 10 or 15 years. But you're, you know, in a lot, you know, just theoretically, a lot of you have not been really engaged in leveraging resources. You've been here and you've benefited from being here and we're glad that you're here. But maybe for the last 10 years, you've kind of just been tipping God. And now we're going to launch this other campus. Now, we think a bunch of people from Tiffin are going to start coming to the Tiffin Church. Non-believers. We think a lot of non-believers are going to come to Tiffin. We hear all kinds of buzz, all kinds of people saying, yeah, I'm going to check that out. Are we expecting them to give? No. We don't expect non-believers to give. We're expecting all the Tiffin people, the Grace Tiffin people, the Christians that are launching. We're expecting you to support Tiffin. Who cares what we expect? God's expecting you to support the Tiffin campus. You know, our budgets will be together, so I'm not, there's, we're not desperate. I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I'm just saying. It, it's a little tight, that's okay. But, you know, that, this is coming. And, and you're probably, a lot of our Tiffin people may need to step up and get a little more serious about reaching people. So just know that. That's just kind of how that works out. So um, God owns. Why should we all in, all out for our resources? First of all, because God owns everything. Secondly, God expects us to invest in his kingdom. And then the third reason and last reason is God evaluates our giving, our investment. It's not just that he expects there's an accounting coming. He's going to evaluate. He's going to judge how our giving is. And we see that in verse 19. Did you catch it? After a long time, Jesus has been gone 2,000 years, but he's coming back. It's been a long time, but his coming is, is coming. You know, we don't know when. After a long time, but there's a time coming that we must give an account for how we used our resources. Everything we do in life, in every area of our life, will either bring reward 
or regret. Reward because we did something that God wanted us to do or regret when we wasted our time doing something God didn't want us to do. It's reward and re- or regret. Now, here, this, puni- this parable is talking about this punishment for failure to invest in his kingdom. The third slave, if, if you notice, it sounded kind of harsh at the end, got punished. Now, by saying this, this in no way takes away from the gospel. The gospel, and we throw this word for, for those of you who are new, the gospel just is, means good news. This doesn't take away from the good news. The good news is that even though God created us and he owns us, and God loves us, and, and so God told us what's right and wrong so we don't mess up our lives, and so that we can honor him. But, we've all, but he also gave us free will, not robots, and if we have free will, then we could choose to do the wrong thing. And we've all done that. You have and I have. And because of that, we've all sinned against God. We've done wrong what he told us not to do. But God still loves us. That doesn't cause him to stop loving us. So, But God is also just, just like we had hoped him to be, that he's just, so wrong has to be punished. And the wrong is way worse than we think the wrong is. And and. In the same way, the punishment is way worse than we think it should be. It's separation from God forever. What am I saying? That all of us deserve separation from God forever because of the wrongs that we've done. That's what God says. But because he loved us, he made a way. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life for 30 plus years. He never committed a sin. And then he voluntarily allowed himself to be tortured to death by his own creation in order to pay for our sins. He's the only one worthy, the only one qualified to pay for anybody else's sin because he's the only one without sin. And the way we get that to count for us is through faith, through belief, by trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. That's the only way. It's not church. It's not this. It's not doing things. And it's not works. So please understand. I'm not say- Jesus is not teaching us here. That if you put your faith in Christ. But you mess up in giving. That you end up in hell. That's not what he's saying. Okay. We got that? Got it. But he is saying something. And he keeps saying this. All through the New Testament. Just like we learned last week. If we're truly Christians, if we have truly put our faith in Jesus, it will change our lives. He will change our lives. We will not be the same person. And if we are the same person, that means we really didn't put our faith in Christ. And part of what he will change about us is our view of money, just how we see money, how we view money, that it's, a, it's actually his. Now notice... The third slave is cast out because he didn't know his master. Do you see how he describes his master when when he's called to account? What's he say? Hey, he says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. And then he says a few other things that really are casting doubt on the character of the master. What he's doing is this guy is blaming God. You know, for us, it'd be like we're blaming God. He's blaming the master. He didn't invest. He was afraid of the master, that he would get it wrong, that he would mess it up. So it's the master's fault that he didn't take action and invest in the kingdom. He says, I was afraid. You know what the number one command in all the scripture is? 
most often repeated, the command most often repeated in Scripture, fear not, fear not. All through Scripture, fear not, fear not, fear not. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, or sometimes timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He's cast out because he doesn't know the master. Because he doesn't know the master, he doesn't invest in the kingdom. He misunderstands the character of the master. And he wasted his time without investing for the master shows that he didn't really know the master. And I'm afraid for some of us that God has given to you resources some of which he wants to use for his kingdom. And out of fear, you've dug a hole in the ground and, and you've hidden it. Do not fear. Um, something I learned as a kid, I remember learning this as a kid. I remember through life discovering this principle, and I'm sure you have too. And as a teen, repeatedly learning this, and as an adult, even more, learn, oh, 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 oh. God hammering this through circumstances in life, and here it is. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. In any area of your life. And when it comes to finances, you can never outgive God. Jesus said this in Luke 6 38. He says, Give. And it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. We cannot ever outgive God. But Kevin, you don't understand. My budget is tight. You can look at the numbers. I mean, it's, I get it. I mean, my budget's not as tight now as it used to be. There's a time I lived in the back of my truck. It doesn't. I could still give. It doesn't, the point is, what I've learned over and over in life, give God first and God will take care of your needs. But recognize his ownership first. Do not fear, it'll be okay. Give God first and there's always enough. Uh, Kevin, you don't get it. The numbers just don't add up. Here's what Solomon said in the Old Testament, Proverbs 11.22. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. Kevin, I don't have enough to give. And so I don't. According to the Bible, maybe that's why you don't have. Because you don't give. Trust God is what I'm saying. And, and then, then there's the reward part of this story. The master, he, he has an accounting. Remember, the first two slaves come up. And, and what's the master say to them? I mean, this is what we want the master to say to us. We want, God, we want to hear this from Jesus. He says, well done. Good and faithful slave. But that's not all he says. He also says this, which is great. I will put you in charge of many things. Oh, you've done a good job with a few, although there's a tremendous amount of money. I'll put you in charge of much more than that. 
And then that's not all he says. And then he says, if that wasn't enough, he says, enter into the joy of your Don't settle for comfortable when God has commissioned you to change the world. Invest in that. Do what God wants you to do. Now, I don't want to sound like a TV preacher. Send in a seed gift, and in the mail, you're going to receive a check. You know, no, I don't want to sound like I'm just telling you there is this principle that you cannot outgive God ever in any area of your life. Whatever area of your life you submit to God's ownership, God will bless you in that area. Last year, uh, to get ready for Tiffin, we did a giving campaign. We, it was a series called Synergy, the beginning of 2018, and it was a capital campaign, and you know that went okay and good. And, uh, and so now it's a three-year thing, so we're a little more than halfway through that. And that's, that's going well. But I realized I made a mistake. Now, if I was doing that all over, I would have just said, I want everybody, everybody to contribute in some way, even if it's a dollar. Because I want you to have ownership in what God is going to do in Tiffin. I want that to be your ministry. I want that to be something where you feel like you have sacrificed. Probably a dollar is not going to do that, but where you feel like you have sacrificed, that you have given, that you've done without something to make this happen. So 20 years from now, when Tiffin's a strong church, that you can think back and say, God, you allowed me to be in on the foundation of that. When there was a need, I gave of my resources. I've sacrificed something. God, thanks for the opportunity because I see disciples being made. And, of course, it's not too late to do that. We have half a year growing grace. Some of you have never really kind of invested. we got to have a church to do this. It's not just about capital. We have, we have to run a church. It takes money to do ministry. No secret. And we're not coming. I'm not preaching this message because we're desperate. We're, we're stretched. You know, it's a cash flow issue. We didn't want to wait three years down the road to do it. We started that campaign and said, I don't know if you remember this, but we said, between October of 18 and September of 19, we're going to launch this church. And now we're on the last Sunday of September. I mean, we, we're just barely making that window. Be a part of it. Join us. Join us. Pastors and staff, we invest financially. Not because they have to. Because we want to join us. And, and a lot of you are already in with us. Thank you. Here's what I want to say. Thank you. If you support grace in an uh, intentional and proportional way, you're the reason we're able to do all the ministry we do here and around the world. Thank you. And I don't say that enough. Thank you. If you're here and you've been giving consistently, thank you. You need to hear that. Thank you. We cannot do what we're doing in ministry without you. If you're giving to Growing with Grace, thank you. That was Growing with Grace. Thank you. Maybe God doesn't want me to talk about Growing with Grace. I don't know. 
If, if you're giving in that area, you know, thank you. That, that's making it, that, that's, that's what we're doing. Be a part of what God's doing. Don't miss out. There's one more story I wanted to share, and it's getting late. Maybe I should just skip it. Or not. Okay, well, so let me just, you got to listen because I shared this story. Not everybody gets this story. As a matter of fact, I shared this with some of the pastors. They didn't get it, all right? So let's see if you get it. It's just hard, it's hard to put into words. Have you ever, how many of you have ever received a gift from somebody and that you could tell it represented a sacrifice for them to give you that gift? All right. How many of you who received a gift like that ever received a gift like that and you knew it was from somebody who had less than you have? Okay. How did that make you feel? Probably like me. So you don't, and sometimes you just say no to the gift. But there's other times where you don't want to say no to the gift because it seems to like belittle the gift. And they're doing something and you're thinking maybe God wanted them to do it. And you, you, you know, you don't, you don't know what to do. And so sometimes you accept the gift. But if you do accept the gift, if you're like me, here's what you're doing. You're trying to figure out a way to, um, a way to make sure that they get blessed way more than whatever they sacrifice to give you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? See, that wasn't so bad. All right, so how many get that? So, you know, somebody gives me something, and I'm like, wow, they sacrificed for that. Maybe I, should, I need to give that back. There's no way I can take that from them. You know, and then but for whatever reason, you, you keep it because you don't want to offend them or whatever. And then you realize, wow, they, they have less than I do. Well, then you're all about trying to bless them, hopefully in some secret way that you can put more money into their pocket if it was a financial kind of a thing. You know, and, and you're just figuring... If sinful, greedy Kevin Pinkerton thinks like that, and sinful, greedy you thinks like that, what do you think God thinks? When we give back to God a portion of what he's blessed us with, he owns everything. We have way less than him. How do you think he responds? Who loves perfectly, who wants the best for us. Don't miss out on God's blessing. Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. God, we thank you for how you've blessed us. You've blessed us in an amazing ways. Lord, thank you for your generosity to us. Lord, help us to submit every area of our life to you. Lord, and help us to know that, that we're not serving ourselves, that we're serving you. Lord, help us to be intentional. Help us to be generous. Help us to be proportional in our giving. And God, let's put every area under you. And God, for those who are here and if they're not believers, Lord, I pray that you just help them to understand that you love them, you want a relationship with them forever. Lord, thanks for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.